With no fees or minimums, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than deciding to listen to another episode of your favorite podcast. And with no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank. Capital One N.A. Member FDIC. Hey, everybody. I want to talk to you about Squarespace Courses. It has the tools you need to create and sell your own online course. Start with a professional layout that fits your brand, upload video lessons to teach techniques and skills, and tailor your course with a powerful Fluid Engine editor. You can create engaging content your audience is going to love, then simply add a paywall and set the price. Turn your creativity into income with Squarespace Courses. So just go to squarespace.com slash stuff for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use our offer code STUFF to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck and Jerry's here, too. And this is Stuff You Should Know, Constitutional uh, Professor's Edition. (laughs) All right. It was the best I could come up with on such short notice. I only had a couple days to think of it. Yeah, this one was sort of depressing for me. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. Because uh, we're talking about freedom of the press. And while we have that in the United States, uh, I mean, I guess we can go ahead and spoil a little bit. If you look at rankings of freedoms of the presses worldwide, mm-hmm. we're not near the top of that list, my friend. No, the um, Reporters Without Borders is a <clears throat> French organization. They um, they basically rate um, the uh, the um, fr- uh, press freedoms, I guess, in 180 different countries. Yeah, the freeness as either as either hot or not. Yeah, and <laughs> who wore it best? <laughs> yeah, right. So um, that's basically the state of the press, anyway. So um, the United States is number 44 in 2021. Yeah. It's actually down two two slots. It used to be forty two for a few years um, before that. So, um, if you want to know more about that, check out the the World Press Freedom Index because it goes into a lot more detail. And who's number one? Of course, number one is uh, Finland, right? Yeah, I mean the the top five is riddled with countries in that area, as always. Finland, Sweden. Denmark, they always, Costa Rica. They get it all right. Costa Rica, that was a wild card, but good for them. Yeah, but it's it's nice to see. Yeah, hats off, Costa Rica. But yeah, it's like you said, in the United States, we absolutely, without question, have guaranteed freedom of the press. But in practice, it's a much, much different thing altogether. There's a lot of different ways that the press can be limited in what it says yeah. uh, for for good or bad. I mean, there are definitely times where it's like, yeah, that's that's not really anything anyone needs to know about necessarily, especially like, say, reporting on the failings of a private citizen or something like that. But um, overall, the idea of a, a, a press reporting um, of, of like a journalism that that is like just able to to really get to the heart of a matter and explain it without restriction on what it says or how it explains it or what it talks about, it's really, really important. And we definitely equate it with democracy. It's like one of the pillars of a free society is a free press. And we also kind of trace it, Chuck, back to the the First Amendment 
Um, and it definitely was enshrined there. But even after the First Amendment was created in the Bill of Rights in, what, 1787, um, America was like, okay, we, we put that in there. Let's just forget about it for a century or so. Yeah. I mean, it's it's been what Paul McCartney would call a long and winding road. Okay. That's a song by the Beatles, by the way. I gotcha. I, I figured that from context. <laughs> They've never heard it. I also figured from context that I probably wouldn't like that song. Oh, it's a great song. Uh, so should we go back in time and sort of poke around in the beginnings? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's not like America came up with that, right? No, of course not. Uh, what I love, like kind of one of my favorite things every time we talk about um, the beginnings of the printed word mm-hmm. is the fact that, and this was starting in the 15th century, when the printing press became a, a big thing, like, and one of the reasons for creating the printing press, like some of the very first things were people writing about, uh, and writers were usually also printers, but people writing about criticisms of either the church or the government. A lot of times mm-hmm. those were kind of one and the same. Mm-hmm. And it was it's just kind of cool to look back and think all the way back then, one of the big reasons the printed word existed and became so widespread was so people could talk to one another when they had a, you know, sometimes despotic government looming over them. Yeah. So if you were the head of a despotic government um, with a suddenly a printing press in your country, you wanted to try to limit that as much as you can. So, you wanted to destroy that printing press probably. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Um, so you would have laws that basically said no one can release a book until the government has read it and signed off on it. Um, laws like that. There were also criminal laws. Um, I believe in England there was um, uh, seditious libel and blasphemous libel. And libel was basically not exactly libel as we understand it today. It was, if you say anything mean or bad or critical of either the government or the church, even if it's true, yeah, you can go to jail for that, even yeah. if it's true. Yeah, factual, printing factual things. Yeah, which is so contrary to the concept of you know, any kind of freedom, especially freedom of speech or freedom of the press as we understand it today. But that was that was just kind of how things were for a good century or so after the printing press uh, was created. Yeah, and one of the big uh, turning points, and these guys really, it's amazing how, how like hard they nailed it so long ago. But there were these essayists named John uh, Trenchard and Thomas Gordon Mm-hmm. who uh, wrote for in the American colonies, Britain's American colonies, between the seventeen early 1720s, mm-hmm. or I guess it was all in the early 1720s. And they wrote uh, under a pseudonym uh, what was called the, the Cato's Letters, yeah. and uh, named after, obviously, the Roman statesman. But they really nailed the fact right out of the gate that, like, free speech is an essential thing, and citizens being able to like communicate with one another. And, you know, of course, back then it was like, you know, a letter that you would print up and, and nail up on a wall, or you would have chain <laughs> letters that people would forward to one another. It was sort of like they're forwarding an email back then. But the people, the citizenry of the world needed to be able to speak to one another about their grievances and not have their voices squashed. Uh, right. I think they even uh, – they talked about libel. They said it's wrong to criticize private and personal failings, uh, even of public figures, and citizens must be free to discuss officials' actions when they affect people. And this wasn't a notion like – I think you sent me that extra thing that said, 
like prior to this, the notion of free speech wasn't even like a, a political rallying cry. No, it just wasn't a thing. Like you can basically say that Trenchard and Gordon essentially made it up or or put better, they discovered it, you know, the importance of it. And they, the importance that they placed on it was twofold. One, they said people need information because the more information you give the general public, the better the decisions that they're going to make are. And in a democracy, if you're letting the general public vote on stuff, they need, they need to be informed. You just can't keep a lid on, on facts. And then the other thing that they said, too, that was really, really important is they said free speech is so important that even the person whose opinions you disagree with has, should have freedom of speech. And that was a mind-blowing new concept because in the colonies prior to that, it was a lot like it is today. I should have free speech, but if I don't agree with you, you shouldn't. Yeah, and I feel like this stuff really hits home for me and for us as a show because even though we're not journalists and we never <laughs> claim to be, we're not a news show, I feel like we've always championed the idea of like knowledge is power, uh, kind of going back to the kids. Uh, what was that? Was that... Kids in the Hall? No. The Goonies? <laughs> no. Scooby-Doo? No, I feel like it was a kid's educational knowledge is power. Was it Electric Saved by Company? The bell. Or, yeah, it was Saved by the Bell. That's what it was. <laughs> right. Screech said that at the end of every episode. Um, <laughs> oh, you're talking about the more you know? No, I'm talking about the literally knowledge is power. Is it, was no, it, I don't know. It might have been uh, Schoolhouse Rock. It might have okay. been one of their things. But anyway, this just hit home for me because I feel like we've always – try to be a show that we get stuff wrong here and there, but we try to spread facts about things and it's not newsy related always. Sometimes it is, but just mm -hmm. about the world. Like the more, you know, the better off you are as a human. Yeah. Like I said, the more, you know, with a star <laughs> overhead, uh, a big early victory, legally speaking, came in 1735. There was a, again, a journalist who was also a printer named John Peter Zinger, He's he he's really good with a joke at a cocktail party. <laughs> That's where that comes from. Hey yo, uh, <laughs> that was his catchphrase. Uh, so he was printing attacks on, believe it or not, William Cosby was the guy's name. Those Cosbys are always up to something. Yeah, I don't think he went by Bill, but uh, this was the colony's governor, uh, New York's governor at the time, and he was arrested, jailed for libel for about ten months. And managed to beat the rap at the trial, even though he was acquitted. It's kind of confusing because he was acquitted on the grounds that he was printing factual things. But as we said before, like even if you were printing factual things, it didn't matter. This particular jury just chose to ignore that. Yeah, it was jury nullification. They said, we think this law is wrong. They were convinced of it by a guy named Andrew Hamilton, who became uh, Zenger's lawyer after his first two lawyers with, were disbarred for, by, for, by the judge in the case for questioning the judge's conflict of interest. And it was like quite a conflict of interest, Chuck. The whole thing was over the removal of a judge that uh, Governor Cosby found troublesome. And his replacement was the judge that was hearing this case, trying the guy who printed stuff about how corrupt that move yeah. that removal of the judge was. That's how screwed up this case was. And the, the the Andrew Hamilton still managed to get the jury to ignore the law and acquit uh, Zenger, which was a huge deal. It didn't immediately like 
opened the floodgates and now all of a sudden there was just press freedom everywhere. Right. But it definitely laid a foundation or helped build on the foundation that Trenchard and Gordon had first elucidated, um, you know, just a few decades before. And there's just a few years after that, Chuck, um, Sweden, I guess, heard about all of the hubbub going on in the American colonies and said, um, we want to be first. First, Sweden likes to, to do that and, and comments on the internet. They just write first everywhere. Yeah. They said, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's not wrong to say. Surely the Swedes have a good sense of humor about that, right? We'll find out. <laughs> Maybe. Do we have listeners there? Sure. All right. I don't know that we've ever, I don't remember any emails from Sweden. We call them the dozen. <laughs> yeah, the dozen, the dirty dozen. Although they're very mm-hmm. clean people. That's right. The fastidious uh, <laughs> dozen. So, yeah, this was in December 1766. They were the first country to pass the free, uh, Freedom of Press Act, but... It wasn't all it was cracked up to be. Uh, They still censor things. They basically put the onus on the publishers uh, instead of the government to censor things. So, you know, good for you in in a way, Sweden, but this is just part of that long and winding road. But but one thing that that act also did was um, say, if you're a citizen of Sweden, you have a right to access government documents to see what your government's doing. So in one way, it was not at all helpful. In another way, it was pretty sweeping, you know? Yeah, sure. <laughs> and then Virginia um, said, all right, well, Sweden was first in the world. We want to be first in the in the colonies. Uh, I guess the states because they um, – no, I guess it would have been the colonies still because they came up with um, a part of their charter or they made an amendment to their charter that said um, we really like what Trenchard and Gordon came up with. We like what Zinger stood for. And um, we're going to include the idea that, quote, freedom of the press is one of the greatest bulwarks for liberty, and that can never be restrained but by despotic governments. So they're saying, like, if you have freedom of the press, freedom of speech, like, that will actually defend liberty by holding despotism at bay. Because if people know, and this is the basis of all this, Chuck, if people know what's going on, they will hold people to account. If people don't know what's going on, People who are attracted to power tend to go um, toward the dark side. Yeah. I mean, that's really it. It's, it's again, knowledge is power. If you And, well, we'll get to all that because there are certain nations of the world that don't do that, and we see it playing out all the time. Right. Uh, the USA, you know, you think when we got the First Amendment going on that – Hey, it's all it's all great now, uh, but as you hinted at earlier, it would be a hundred plus years until there were truly sort of like protections for the press. Mm-hmm. Uh, seven years after the First Amendment was born, it was just a little baby in first or second grade. Uh, Congress passed the Sedition Act of seventeen ninety eight, and uh, you know, said, we can deport you, we can fine you, we can imprison you if you publish false, scandalous, or malicious writing. And, you know, scandalous and malicious are very broad terms to mm-hmm. use when you're saying, like, you, if you print that against the federal government, then that's, you know, something we can do bad things to you for. Right. Uh, and it just lasted a few years, that particular act, uh, but it would come up again later on in a different form. Right. And also just um, a little tidbit on that, that act was passed by the Federalists who were in in power. They had the White House and Congress 
Um, and they passed that act in part to, to um, hold that power, to maintain that power, to keep from being criticized in the press. And apparently, um, the early Americans found out about this, what was going on, and they disliked that law so much that they actually voted the Federalists out of office. And that's how Jefferson became president. That's right. That's a nice little so fact, it, 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 Yeah, and it backfired. That's what happens when you try to put a stranglehold on the power. The people say nay. People say nay, and I say, let's take a break. Okay. Let's get those dinner party invitations going and get Zinger on the list. (laughs) And uh, we'll be right back. Listen to this. It's a game changer. Amazon is now in healthcare. Yes, Amazon. It's called Amazon One Medical. They offer same-day appointments. And if that's not convenient enough for you, they also have 24-7 virtual care. Yeah, you know, imagine you're feeling so sick that even the thought of getting out of bed is just too much for you. With Amazon One Medical, you don't have to leave the house. Of course, what good is that if you then have to drag yourself to the pharmacy, but you don't have to do that either because of Amazon Pharmacy. It makes a lot of sense. Delivering things fast is what Amazon is known for, and that's exactly what they do here. They'll deliver your prescriptions directly to your door. No waiting in pharmacy lines with people who probably all have something worse than whatever you're there for. Again, this is a game changer. Thanks to Amazon Pharmacy and Amazon One Medical, healthcare just got less painful. Hey, everybody, it's time to talk about Squarespace. Squarespace has absolutely everything you could possibly need to build whatever website you're trying to. You can host video content and organize your entire video library, plus showcase it on beautiful video pages. You can use analytics to grow your business and learn where your site visits and sales are coming from. What else, Chuck? Well, buddy, if you got merch, then you can sell it on Squarespace. You can easily sell custom merch and create a passive income stream that engages your audience and scales your brand. Design your products and production, inventory, and shipping are all handled for you, saving you time and money. Yeah, and if your business is appointment-based, you can accept appointments on your Squarespace website. You can offer online or in-person private sessions, workshops, and group classes. And Squarespace provides everything you need to manage your schedule, accept secure payments, and send automatic reminders, all in a beautifully showcased site. So just go to squarespace.com slash stuff and you're going to get a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use our offer code stuff to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hey, everybody. Summer is the perfect time for gathering with friends and family in the backyard to enjoy premium cuts of meat, fresh seasonal produce, and more. And of course, we're talking about Whole Foods Market. And speaking of that meat, you can fire up the grill with premium cuts of meat like no antibiotics ever beef, New York strip steak, and beautifully marbled boneless beef ribeye steak. Your grill will thank you. And you can also grab and go. Whole Foods Market has grab and go favorites like packaged salads, appetizers, and sides. They're really perfect for bringing to any kind of potluck barbecue. Yes, plus don't forget dessert. Every gathering needs dessert. You can dig into limited time seasonal pies from their experts in the bakery. Or how about some adult beverages? You can always fill up that cooler with some summer beers, seltzers, sparkling wine, canned wines, and more. Must be 21 plus, of course, and please drink responsibly. So make Whole Foods Market your summer grilling destination. Hey, everybody, fire up the grill. 
fire up the party. Get the Weber Searwood Pellet Grill. Smoke, roast, and sear on the same grill. That's right. You can go from low and slow on smoke boost mode at 180 degrees all the way to high heat sear at 600 degrees. And it's got a full great sear zone so you can put more food on the flame. That's right. Plus, you can utilize the smoke boost setting to intensify that smoky flavor. And direct flame cooking creates searing, crisping, and browning. So your food will look as good as it tastes. That's right. The grill is hot in 15 minutes and cleanup is easy. You'll cook on two levels at the same time so you can make enough for everyone. Then clean up quick with a pull and clean grease and ash management system at the front of the grill. Cook confidently with intuitive digital controls at the grill and enjoy the sleek, easy to use surface. Plus, you can add a heavy duty rotisserie or rust resistant griddle insert to up your game. So get fired up for your new Weber Searwood Pellet Grill. Uh, all right, we need to talk a little bit about the Supreme Court of the United States uh, because yeah, they, here's here's where it all really begins. John. Yeah, they they factor in obviously pretty large here. Uh, at um, well, I, I mentioned the Sedition Act. There was another Sedition Act that came along in 1918, mm-hmm. uh, which again criminalized a lot of political speech, and this is pretty broad as well. Uh, it was a crime to willfully utter, print, write, or publish a disloyal. Very vague, uh, profane, not as vague, uh, scurrilous, super vague, or mm-hmm. abusive language, a little bit vague, about the form of government uh, of the United States, or to speak out against war. And they, you know, they went after people. They prosecuted uh, close to two thousand people under the Sedition Act uh, and the Espionage Act. And the Supreme Court upheld some of these, but it at least got them talking. Yeah, so that's a really critical thing is the Supreme Court at the time was like, we generally agree with that law. But all of this, all these cases that were reaching the Supreme Court at the time about, you know, freedom of speech. um, Yeah, like you said, it got them talking. And in particular, Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes and Justice Louis Brandeis kind of banded together and brought their their, um, rather considerable um, juristic minds to bear Mm. on the idea of, um, free speech and freedom of the press and like what that meant and what protections it should have. And they used their tenure on the Supreme Court to basically establish precedent in the United <coughs> States that said everything you understand about freedom of speech and freedom of the press, uh, we're going to basically enshrine together through some basically opinions, not even necessarily like um, dissenting opinions. Sometimes they appended their support for, a you know, um, upholding somebody being um, uh, convicted under the the Sedition Act or Espionage Mm -hmm. Act. But they would say things like, you know, um, if you you put people out there and let them talk, you're going to have like an exchange of ideas and the best ideas are going to bubble to the top. And so this whole idea of freedom of speech that led up to Oliver Wendell Holmes that it was a personal liberty that you were guaranteed in a democracy. Yeah. They said, yeah, true. In addition to that, it's actually a common good if you have free speech. Right. Because us, uh, the, the best idea can be compared and compete against rival ideas, and the one that suits society best can win the day because it's been debated and hashed out in, in the marketplace of ideas. Right. And uh, Holmes championed the marketplace of ideas idea 
mm-hmm. but that was originally uttered by another justice, right? Yeah, William O. Douglas back in the 50s, so about 40 right. years after that. But a lot of people qu- credit Oliver Wendell Holmes for, for coming up with that. No, he just liked to wear it on his on his robe, on the back of his robe. <laughs> in in rhinestones. <laughs> uh, oh, man, that'd be nice. Uh, so 1964 comes another big milestone. The Supreme Court heard New York Times uh, v. Sullivan. And this was this was pretty interesting. And this was, boy, this was a big one because this is where we finally got the idea that uh, libel isn't just a word that means you said something mean. Uh, mm-hmm. Libel means that you you had actual malice behind it. And that is still the standard by which we judge libel. Uh, this was an ad in 1960 uh, in the New York Times. It was run by the uh, – it was – or I guess paid for by civil rights advocates. And it was criticizing officials in the South for violating civil rights. But it had a few um, factual inaccuracies uh, inaccuracies in there, one of which was uh, how many times uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. had been arrested. So they didn't take kindly to that down there. Uh, there was a police commissioner in Alabama that filed a defamation lawsuit – Alabama Supreme Court agreed with him, but then the U.S. Supreme Court went on to overturn that ruling with just a milestone majority opinion, which was, you know, actual malice has to be proven, and it's on you to prove that they meant to have malice. And that is was a huge, huge, and continues to be a huge deal. Yeah, because prior to that, it was, you know, up to this this decision— if you said anything wrong and there was any kind of factual error in it, you were at sta- at fault. And that would have an enormous chilling effect on the press. Sure. Right? Yeah. And and that's a huge deal. That's like part and parcel with protecting press freedom is to also guard against a chilling effect that can happen where that, that kind of comes about when things are unclear, when you're not quite certain of where the line is or anything like that. It, people start to kind of COA, you know? Yeah. And so they prevented that by saying, no, now it's on the person who has supposedly been defamed to prove that that person willfully reported facts that they knew were wrong. Then you've got slander. Then you've got libel. But up to that point, if you can't prove that, then you're you're in the clear press. Yeah, and here's the thing. Like, this was a big deal because humans make mistakes. Uh, right. I, I think there's been – not I think. It, it's pretty clear over the past – Oh, I don't know. Uh, five years or so, there's been this notion that that the press uh, purposefully uh, gets things wrong to to back up whatever opinion they have on something. And by and large, journalists in the United States do have integrity, and and they want true journalists, not you know entertainment journalism, but true journalists want to get things right because their reputation is at stake, and the publications they work for, their reputation is at stake. And you were a journalist for a while. I was a journalist for a while. You want to get this stuff right. And if you don't, you can't have a law hanging above you. What you do is you make it right and you print retractions and say, I goofed up. But uh, (laughs) it's just, it's, yeah. (laughs) I can't stay on this soapbox because it was like onion juice will start squirting out of my pores. Yeah, no. I'm not um, sure what that means. (laughs) Wow, that was really grody. I was trying I mean, to just, just think of something disgusting. That yeah, well, you nailed it on the head, Charles. <laughs> that was really good work. 
Ugh. Um, yeah, the problem with that, though, the last part that you hit upon is the retraction and saying you goofed up. Those, those are few and far between. And when they are done, they're, Back pages. Um, yeah. Yeah. So there's like not enough effort to restore someone's good name if it's been besmirched to, to get all 19th century on, on you. <laughs> right. Um, you know, through retractions, through things like that, and like making an effort to say, hey, we actually really got this wrong. Um, you know, I think it's gotten better at the on the, with the internet because it's printed below the article that got it wrong initially. They'll yeah. say that this was incorrect. Yeah, totally. So it's gotten way better. But back in the days of print only, um, or even network TV, like those retractions were just so far separated from the actual error that they, yeah. they might as well have just not connected them at all. Uh, so what? Let's talk a little bit about the Pentagon Papers because uh, that was another. I feel like I had an extra P in there. I didn't say pin upon, did I? No. Okay. <laughs> I, I can't get past onion juice. <laughs> Why did that come out of my mouth? That was so weird. It came out of your mouth, your pores, your ears. <laughs> oh, my God. Your anus. Uh, oh, boy. Uh, yeah, let's talk about the Pentagon Papers in 71. What was that all about? Well, uh, so uh, what was his name? The Ford exec who was uh, William, uh, McNamara. Yeah. He was the fog of war guy, right? Yeah, yeah. He ordered, um, like, basically a 47-volume exhaustive uh, investigation in history of the United States' involvement in Vietnam from World War II onward. I think this was the 60s, up to the late 60s, early 70s. And there was this researcher who worked on it for the Pentagon. His name was Daniel Ellsberg. He was super into the idea that the United States was fighting the good fight in Vietnam. But the more he helped compile this and the more like of the horrors and the atrocities that he saw, uh, he he became really, um, he became a conscientious objector in a way and turned into a whistleblower and handed over this super secret classified 47-volume document to the New York Times who started publishing articles on it. That's right. And uh, the U.S. Uh, Department of Justice originally got a temporary restraining order saying you can't do this. Uh, it, you know, it boils down to national security, basically. And then we get the case, the New York Times company, uh, the United States, quite a foe. And the Supreme <laughs> Court said in a 6-3 ruling, you know, you, United States, you didn't prove that these articles harm national security. And these are, in fact, protected under the First Amendment. And not only that, just uh, Justice Potter Stewart wrote mm-hmm. these uh, very wise words, the only effective restraint upon executive policy and power in the areas of national defense and international affairs may lie in, again, in an enlightened citizenry and an informed and critical public opinion, which alone can here protect the values of democratic government. Right. And so you can see from Justice Potter Stewart's um, like little note, basically, his opinion— Little when note. the government <laughs> when the government brings cases like these, it really opens itself up for the Supreme Court to tee off on free speech yeah. and um, and freedom of the press. And there's a, a good example um, of the government not doing that to not set itself up so that it can it can keep that line blurry so that it can create a chilling effect with journalists. And that's with the fact that they've never prosecuted a journalist for publishing leaked information. Yeah. By not doing that, they've never set themselves up for the the Supreme Court to say irrefutably 
yes, journalists can do this. Journalists don't worry about that anymore. You can't be prosecuted for that. Right. The fact that no one ever has means that there's still a possibility that with the right case, the government could get you. You could go to prison, even though, you know, generally the the way that things go is you're not even prosecuted. It's not viewed as illegal, but there's no precedent. So by not setting a precedent, either way, the government has that threat of, of prosecuting you hanging over journalists' heads, and it makes some journalists think twice before accepting, you know, leaked and classified materials. Right. Um, I guess, you know, we kind of teased earlier that some nations are, uh, I guess you could say, a bit more threatening than others or controlling. Um, China, obviously, is a country that, um, you know, in their constitution— they technically include the right to freedom of the press, but it is a country that is so highly uh, regulated under the thumb of their communist party mm-hmm. that they just squash reports. They stop things from running. Uh, they Everything uh, to them, it seems like, falls under the banner uh, that it would harm the country. And, you know, the Great Firewall we've talked about before, I, I don't even think our podcast is available there, if I'm not mistaken, right? I, I don't know. at one know. point it wasn't. I don't, I don't know. Uh, probably won't be after today. <laughs> and this, you know, some have argued that there is now uh, a nation of young people, not all of them, but a lot of them that have bought into this and that this has had the exact effect that China wants to have and that they believe the Communist Party's propaganda machine. And they'll report their professors, they'll report on their their friends or family if they deviate from that party line. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's... It's scary, man. Yeah, and there's um, um, Livia helps us with this, and she cited a uh, a researcher from China, uh, Yaqui Wang, who um, just you know a a good decade before today was you know studying in China and was free on the internet and social media to criticize the government to ch- to trade ideas that kind of thing, and because of activities like hers, the Communist Party said, no, we cannot allow that. And in just a decade, they've managed to completely transform the minds of the younger generation in China from what what from what our media tells us. Yeah. And, then, you know, obviously the same thing has gone on and is currently going on in Russia, uh, notably with the invasion of Ukraine. If you ask, you know, the, the Russian state-run media is, is basically saying, this is just a limited military operation. We're trying to get the Nazis out of Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people buy that. They're, you know, we're a handful of independent news sources, but, you know, because of uh, murder and uh, which, which happens, I think the UN says between 2006 and 2020, more than 1,200 journalists all over the world have been killed and murdered mm-hmm. for their reporting. Mm-hmm. Uh, 90% of those crimes went unpunished. So with that threat hanging over Russia, the the same effect has happened over there. There are a lot of uh, young people in Russia that that believe that what's going on in Ukraine is no big deal and fully justified. It, well, it's that's what happens when you have a government that has a stranglehold on media and can just control what you see or hear. It's, you, there's just no other ideas that can make their way in. It's it's really staggering. It also makes you wonder, like, gosh, you know, what all don't we know? Yeah. For sure. Uh, and, you know, this is not me just going off on, a, on an opinion I have, but in 2019, uh, we had a president of these United States that publicly announced and floated the idea of a state-run media here. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> 
So the thing is, Chuck, um, if you go, if you look at the Chinese constitution, you'll see that there is a right to um, a free press, that it's in there. Yeah. But they use the Great Firewall of China called the Golden Shield there. Um, the, uh, they use uh, propaganda. Um, they use lawsuits, things like that, I think you said, um, to basically reverse that. Not on paper, just in practice, right? Yeah. In the United States, we have a very robust guarantee that's been supported time and time and time and time again by the Supreme Court, by laws that protect people um, for, for, in their right to speak. Um, and we're still hashing it out. But generally, we have a very free press in the United States. The thing is, that's not to say that we have a truly opaque and impartial press in the United States. The press can still be limited in a number of different ways, even without direct government intervention in their activities and what they report on. All right. I think it's a great cliffhanger. People are probably wondering what in the heck is going on here. <laughs> and we'll let you know right after this. Listen to this. It's a game changer. Amazon is now in healthcare. Yes, Amazon. It's called Amazon One Medical. They offer same-day appointments. And if that's not convenient enough for you, they also have 24-7 virtual care. Yeah, you know, imagine you're feeling so sick that even the thought of getting out of bed is just too much for you. With Amazon One Medical, you don't have to leave the house. Of course, what good is that if you then have to drag yourself to the pharmacy, but you don't have to do that either because of Amazon Pharmacy. It makes a lot of sense. Delivering things fast is what Amazon is known for, and that's exactly what they do here. They'll deliver your prescriptions directly to your door. No waiting in pharmacy lines with people who probably all have something worse than whatever you're there for. Again, this is a game changer. Thanks to Amazon Pharmacy and Amazon One Medical, healthcare just got less painful. Hey, everybody. Summer is the perfect time for gathering with friends and family in the backyard to enjoy premium cuts of meat, fresh seasonal produce, and more. And of course, we're talking about Whole Foods Market. And speaking of that meat, you can fire up the grill with premium cuts of meat like no antibiotics ever beef New York strip steak and beautifully marbled boneless beef ribeye steak. Your grill will thank you. And you can also grab and go. Whole Foods Market has grab and go favorites like packaged salads, appetizers, and sides. They're really perfect for bringing to any kind of potluck barbecue. Yes, plus don't forget dessert. Every gathering needs dessert. You can dig into limited time seasonal pies from their experts in the bakery. Or how about some adult beverages? You can always fill up that cooler with some summer beers, seltzers, sparkling wine, canned wines, and more. Must be 21 plus, of course, and please drink responsibly. So make Whole Foods Market your summer grilling destination. Hey everybody, fire up the grill and fire up the party. Get the Weber Sear Wood Pellet Grill. Smoke, roast, and sear on the same grill. That's right. You can go from low and slow on smoke boost mode at 180 degrees all the way to high heat sear at 600 degrees. And it's got a full great sear zone so you can put more food on the flame. That's right. Plus, you can utilize the smoke boost setting to intensify that smoky flavor. And direct flame cooking creates searing, crisping, and browning. So your food will look as good as it tastes. 
That's right. The grill is hot in 15 minutes and cleanup is easy. You'll cook on two levels at the same time so you can make enough for everyone, then clean up quick with a pull and clean grease and ash management system at the front of the grill. Cook confidently with intuitive digital controls at the grill and enjoy the sleek, easy-to-use surface. Plus, you can add a heavy-duty rotisserie or rust-resistant griddle insert to up your game. So get fired up for your new Weber Searwood Pellet Grill. Hey friends, if you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. Like, what are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood the best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Yeah, well, now it is, everybody, on Homes.com. They've got everything you need to know about the listing itself, but even better. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. Homes.com collaboration tools make it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Okay, so um, that was a pretty big cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. The horse went over the cliff with us on it. <laughs> how will we land, Chuck? How will we land? Hopefully safely. All right, well, how about this? Parachutes for both. So, <laughs> a really, well, what about the horse? Yeah, for both the horse and us. Oh, we're sharing a, a parachute? No, you and I are on a horse. Right. We have two parachutes. The yeah. horse. The horse has one. Okay, so parachutes for all. Yeah, all three of us are landing safely. Originally, okay. in my mind's eye, we were each on our own horse, but then no, I no. thought it'd be fun to share a horse. Yeah, yeah, it's like an oversized horse. Yeah, and so I get to ride in the back. That means that's I, fine. I, I want to hug you around the waist, like always. No, that's totally fine. <laughs> okay. Um, the 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 parachute though for the horse has to be much larger than either either of our parachutes. Is it larger size? It's larger, and it it obviously is attached between us. Because we don't want to tip off, even though we have our own parachute. Right. We want to go down as a, a, a nice little threesome. So the horse's parachute is what? Connected around, like maybe like a, a girdle or something like that. And then our our parachutes are connected to the horse's parachute? No, no, no. I think how it works is, I've seen this before. The okay. horse's parachute is integrated into the saddle. Okay. Uh, sort of between you and I. It's a two-person saddle. Mm-hmm. And then you and I have just regular parachutes, but we are then also strapped to the horse and saddle. So we're being supported by the horse's parachute in addition to our own parachutes. Yeah, we're kind of like the backup. Okay, I gotcha. <laughs> okay. So now that we've landed safely and the horse is trotting us along again, mm-hmm. um, a really good example of indirect government intervention um, and self-censorship of the press yeah. comes at times when there's like a war or something. And a good example of that came after 9-11, where basically the entire United States media said, uh, "What? just tell us what to do. What do you want from us, yeah. government? We're going to completely just listen because we're feeling particularly patriotic right now. Yeah, it's sort of easy to forget that. Uh, But there was a – from University of Pittsburgh, there was a scholar there named Gordon R. Mitchell who described that reporting as a spiral of Mm self-censorship. And 
I guess, you know, I, I just didn't remember it that way. But when you look back at things like Dan Rather being on David Letterman, Dan Rather, uh, and saying, George Bush is the president, wherever he wants me to line up, just tell me where and he'll make the call. Uh, oh we'll God. do whatever is our patriotic duty. It's it's easy to kind of forget that was the sentiment at the time. And everybody was was lining up to say, hey, well, you got it. What, are, what do you want us to say? Yeah, I remember um, there was like a benefit concert with uh, in a few days of 9-11 for like the first responders. And Richard Gere came out on stage and he he asked everyone to please. He knows that we're hurting and he knows that we're angry, but he's asking us to channel all of this into into love, into <laughs> a peace uh, rather than hatred. And he got booed off the stage yeah. by everybody in New York at the time. And that was totally sentiment. Like, people like Richard Gere didn't say things like that, or nobody else after Richard Gere did, except for apparently Bill Maher. Right. Um, who said something about, he said that, uh, um, you call it, say, say what you will about it, but if you're on the plane still when it hits the building, that's not cowardly. And he had compared, you know, shooting cruise missiles into another country as cowardly. And that was basically it for Bill Maher's politically incorrect show after that. And it wasn't like the government was saying, Bill Maher, you're off the air. Mm-hmm. Um, Richard Gere, go make some terrible, a terrible string of movies for a while as your punishment. <laughs> like, that's not what happened. Instead, it was the, like uh, people saw that and they were kind of repelled by it. It was so far against like the group think at the time. Yes. So outside of the, the general mood of like vengeance and hurt that America was going through in the immediate wake of 9-11 that, um, that people just kind of were, were compelled to fall in line by themselves. Like, that's just how how you were at the time. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, of course, when companies pull ad dollars, something like politically incorrect can go away very fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, or or at least give a TV network uh, another reason to say, oh, we canceled them because, you know, we couldn't get any ads on it. Right. Right. So that was – that's one example. But then also um, there's a, a really good um, – chiller, I guess, something that has a chilling effect. Because remember, it's a really important aspect in a country that has a nominally free press, but the press is still controlled. And you hit upon it, advertisers and ad dollars, they really have a genuine impact on what reporters and journalists feel free to say, either directly, like they're muzzled by like their editors or their publishers, or they just know, if I report this fact about, you know, my parent company, it's going to look bad for the parent company. I'm just going to leave this fact out in the article. That's self-censoring, and that's something that the American press does. Yeah, there was a survey in 2000, and uh, Olivia does point out it's an old survey, but it's probably um, no different and maybe even worse 20 years on. But uh, 31% of journalists avoided stories that could hurt their news organization or its parent company, and 29% said the same if it could hurt the advertisers. So, you know, it's just this notion that, you know, I get a paycheck from someone, and I know that ultimately that paycheck comes from either selling newspapers or selling ads in those newspapers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, that was a long time ago when the the, the newspaper was still, like, in print. Uh, right. <laughs> like, a big deal. But uh, this, this all comes down to the fact that these are for-profit businesses, mm-hmm. and it's pretty easy to lose your objectivity when you're keeping that in mind. 
Yeah, and also it bears pointing out that a very small group of people, um, either individual wealthy billionaires in the case of Jeff Bezos with the Washington Post, Mm -hmm. or, you know, giant conglomerate companies like GE owning, I think, NBC maybe, um, and all of them have like a lot of interest in common, which is protecting the bottom line. So it's really easy to get everybody to kind of report generally the same thing and not report on generally the same thing. Um, and there's a, I, we talked about it before, but that Robert Smigel um, must see TV funhouse. Mm hmm. Conspiracy Theory Rock yeah, <laughs> does a really great job of explaining how it the does. whole thing works. And it's a good 15 years old by now, but it's just as as correct as ever. Boy, Smigel, what a genius. He really was a genius. And there's one other thing I would advise people to do at this point when you're t- thinking about, you know, just how free the American press is and how constrained it is by dollars. Quora is a really good place to go, like, read um, – you know, intelligent people's opinions on things, presented as opinions, not as fact or anything. Yeah, Q-U-O-R-A, Quora? Yes. And if you look up, does America have a free press? I found the answers on that um, question really um, enlightening. I mean, nothing new. I didn't hear anything new, but it was um, just, just to see over and over again, like, yes, there's a free press. Not really, though, because it's all constrained by dollars and it's all owned by corporations. Uh, it really kind of makes you understand where your where our place is in the world and why we're number forty four in in the in the way of free press around the the world. Yeah, and you know uh, we have to talk about social media too because that is in the scope of the history of the press a very new kind of media, and it is uh, it is not figured out yet. I guess is the <laughs> kindest way to say it because. Yeah. What you have with social media, I mean, it really giveth and it taketh away. On one hand, you have more uh, access than ever for someone to be able to truly get out um, uh, reporting or something like that that's factual and would be maybe squashed by a parent company or by a traditional media company. But you've also got a situation where, you know, you can kind of say whatever you want under the guise of like, this is just my opinion. And people... In today's America, a lot of people take things that are completely made up and completely false as true and factual, and it's scary. Yeah, it's super scary. It's a really uncomfortable time to be living because we're like, when when are we going to figure this out? How are we going to figure this out? Are we ever going to figure this out? Uh, Or is it going to be one of those things where things are going to get a lot worse before they get better? Uh, who knows? We just don't know because we're living in the midst of it right now. Yeah, and, you know, as Olivia points out, it's a situation where they are like traditional media companies in some ways because they can juice an algorithm to get something more seen than something else. Right. But then it's not like they don't – like a company like Facebook doesn't have – or any social media company doesn't have the same – um or at least legally that right now they don't have the same ethical standards of a traditional media company. Right, right. So it's like this new animal that kind of looks a lot like the old animal, but is like, no, 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 you can't treat me like the old animal. I'm something different. Um, and and that's kind of what we're figuring out is, it's like you said, they have different eth- ethical standards. And that's really found in the case of Gawker, um, which was a, a gossipy news site mm-hmm. um, that saw fit to publish uh, Hulk Hogan's sex tape that got leaked to them. 
um, where Hulk Hogan, yes, Sorry, everything Hulk. about this case is gross. Yeah. Hulk Hogan was cheating on his wife with his best friend's wife, made a sex tape of it. Gawker saw fit to publish it. Like, that's just news that people need to know about. Right. And um, got sued by Hulk Hogan. Sued out of existence by Hulk Hogan. And that's another aspect of this case that was gross. Peter Thiel, a billionaire who was one of the founders of PayPal, secretly financed the case because he hated Gawker because Gawker had outed him as gay back in 2007. So he financed Hulk Hogan's case and basically drove Gawker into bankruptcy. And that's not supposed to be okay. Like, even if you hate somebody's free speech, a billionaire shouldn't be able to decide who says what or who doesn't say what. So that's another gross part. Hulk Hogan won because he managed to position himself as like a, an everyday guy who was up against this elite, snobby New York media. Right. Um, that's pretty gross, too. And then ultimately, the worst part of it is that this, this dumb move by Gawker to publish Hulk Hogan's sex tape opened up a really terrible can of worms that just did not need to be opened. Um, which which basically says, hey, you remember that idea that truth can never be considered libel that has been a foundation of American law of free speech and free press? Let's turn that on its head. Let's test that by right. publishing this Hulk Hogan sex tape. And so they lost their lawsuit. Like they, even though it was true, this Hulk Hogan didn't dispute that that was him and that was his sex tape uh, and Gawker published it and that was it. He still won a $140 million lawsuit against them, and Gawker went out of business. And whatever you think of Gawker, they were still technically media. They were still technically the press. And so now you've got billionaires who can, who can run yeah. press out of existence if they don't like what they have to say. That's where we're still, we are right now. We're still figuring this out. And it's a, it's a scary time. Yeah, because, uh, uh, you know, most companies of that size don't have the money, and that's what happened to Gawker. They don't have the money to hang in there unless another billionaire is then financing theirs, and then we're in real trouble when it's just billionaires yeah. secretly, you know, suing one another behind, you know, the guise of another case. Right. That would not be fun. It would not be fun. So, like we said, the United States press is uh, number 44 out of 180 it's a that's a solid B, I would say, but you would expect really the first country to truly enshrine free speech into its um, constitutional amendments to have to be a lot higher than forty four, but it's not. So, if you want to know more about that, you can go check out uh, Reporters Without Borders twenty twenty one World Press Freedom Index. But basically, the upshot of it is that there is a tremendous amount of mistrust in journalists. In, in the United States and in media in general and a lot of false information that's easily passed around. And that's kind of setting the stage for a really um, a disrupted press or purpose of the press, which is, again, to tell people like you and me what the people running the show are doing so we can decide whether we want them to con continue running the show or not. That's right. Uh, and we should mention, if you're wondering what the bottom of that list looks like the bottom five. There are a couple of uh, African nations, uh, Djibouti and Eritrea, and then, of course, China, uh, Turkmenistan, mm -hmm. and then, uh, obviously, North Korea. Yes, obviously. Obviously. Sorry, sorry, Kim Jong-un. Well, now you're going to get us off the air there. 
<laughs> I, yeah, there's no way we're on the air there. No. We're too free, baby. That's right. Uh, well, since Chuck said that's right, of course, everybody, that means it's time for listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this <laughs> rhinoplasty follow-up. Very nice. This is from, uh, well, he's, I'll, I'll save that part. Uh, hey, guys, keep doing the great work. Really enjoy the lighthearted approach to presenting information uh, from the interesting minutia of unimportant topics to the deeply important, even politically charged topics like today. Uh, as a person who has had to have three separate rhinoplasty surgeries, uh, and he says, parenthetically, I've got some ridiculously troublesome sinuses, septum, and other miscellaneous issues. Uh, I had one other point to add. Something I had never heard of was the turbinates. Uh, mm, yeah. Mine were apparently huge. Uh, these are little finger-like folds of skin that run along the interior of your nostrils. They swell and deswell alternately and are the reason when you have a bad cold, one side is totally plugged, but you can breathe through the other one. Uh, anyway, part of my surgeries was trimming those down because they were causing me breathing problems. Uh, the med student who was helping me uh, mentioned after the surgery in horror that he had no idea so much stuff could come out of a person's head. Oh, wow. It's always fun when you hear something like that in post-op. Like, yeah. I've never seen a blank that big, sir. <laughs> yeah. You uh, say, well, you got a picture? <laughs> right. Uh, that is from John B. Parks. Husband, father, nerd fighter, Hufflepuff. Let's go Royals, <laughs> Chiefs, SKC, and Coys. And then the, he has a Gandhi quote. This is all in his email signature. So I always like to read that stuff. Uh, Liz, uh, live as if you were to die tomorrow. Learn as if you were to live forever, Mahatma Gandhi. Very nice. And then below that, it says that he might get uh, revenue from any links you click that take you to Amazon. <laughs> I never had an email signature that said things, <laughs> like quotes uh, and stuff. I kind of like that. Yeah, okay. Well, Chuck, today is your day to start. All right. That was John. That was John. Thanks a lot, John. I appreciate that. Uh, I may actually be getting that done, too. They um, mentioned that for me, and I was like, I don't know. This sounds like an upsell, so maybe not. John, <laughs> John might have convinced me. Upsell. If you want to get in touch with us like John did, we'd love to hear from you. You can send us an email and send it to specifically stuffpodcast at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Hey, friends, when someone says Amazon, do you think healthcare? Well, maybe you should. Amazon One Medical offers same-day appointments, and if somehow that's still not convenient enough, they have 24-7 virtual care. Not only that, there's also Amazon Pharmacy, so after your virtual care appointment, Amazon will deliver your prescriptions directly to your door. Now, waiting in line with people who are sick with who knows what. It's a new era of healthcare. Thanks to Amazon Pharmacy and Amazon One Medical, healthcare just got less painful.
In business, first impressions are everything. And that's why every business owner needs to know about Ruby. Ruby is the virtual receptionist company who screens, transfers, and takes messages 24-7, all while making your customers feel special. You definitely don't want to hire a subpar front desk person. And with Ruby, they engage with your callers in a conversational way, just like your best employee would. Never miss another customer call again. This year, make your business the best it can be. Visit ruby.com today. Or just call them at 844-900-RUBY. Elevate your customer experience with CX1 by NICE. Turbocharge your CX results and harness the power of cloud scalability with built-in intelligence for faster resolution with every customer interaction. NICE CX1 is the most complete customer experience cloud platform and is trusted by thousands of organizations around the globe. Partner with NICE and get ultimate cloud scalability and flexibility to create exceptional customer experiences. Unleash CX excellence today. Visit NICE.com now. That's NICE.com.